Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. So, usually I don't like to pressure you into watching more than one episode a night. So, I like I turned off the Xbox, put the microphone away, thinking that we were pretty much done. You know, you're yawning and stuff. I figure, you know, it's the end of the day, Christmas tomorrow. And then you said, I want to watch episode two of the moon base. Yeah, I, I was, like I said on the last episode, mere half hour ago, I was really excited to see what it actually looked like. I didn't want to wait. No waiting. And now you've seen it. Yeah, it looks friggin' awesome. Yeah, yay. Those sets are even better than I expected. Like the, the Gravitron thing, when it started moving, I was like, holy crap balls. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. What, a, what a contraption. Patrick Troughton didn't think so because it uh, during rehearsal for one of these episodes, just after he walked under it, the contraption fell and could have uh, hurt him. Oh dear! Yeah. Well, it still looks pretty cool. Yeah, which which would have been even worse. I mean, a it's bad when your star gets uh, hurt by scenery, but at this time in the show's history, um, they were literally working one week before broadcast, so it's not like they could hurriedly um, like delay an episode or something like that because they were pretty much running live at this point. Wow, mm-hmm. intense, isn't it though? But it looks it looks great. And man, I love the spacesuits. Those are amazing. <laughs> really? Okay, how come you like them so much? They just like that's to me, that is yeah. the ultimate in future tech because it looks like it's just a thin layer of plastic, which is exactly, you know, what it is, a thin layer of something plasticky. And that is like in the future, all the way up in like, you know, twenty seventy, I would expect a spacesuit to be super, super thin material that's very lightweight and flexible and the only thing that you need to be like, you know, a camping water bottle that you can wear on your back with a tube <laughs> and like a big, you know, a big helmet. Like that I just thought it was really like, yeah, that's what I want my future future spacesuit to be like. With big like the big giant bulby um and, and sunglasses too. They had like little shades on and stuff. Well, you got to have your style. <laughs> I found it fun that uh, that the TARDIS crew had the exact same um, style of... So maybe the TARDIS knows that, ah, 2070 moon, okay, I know exactly what you need to wear. And so that's what the TARDIS fed them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, my head, my TARDIS headcanon is that the wardrobe or the the chest or the trunk or whatever always mm-hmm. will, you know, provide whatever's the most appropriate. Yeah. Or least appropriate if, if the TARDIS is feeling, you know silly trolly yeah there you go that's a good word yeah uh what else about this this episode this moving episode the cyberman you can see your first full shot of the cyberman quite scary actually i mean i i certainly thought that the 10th planet cybermen were very disturbing but i think i find this more imposing this is you know just the the sheer blankness of the face is really really creepy uh although i've it's interesting that they can now do zappy hands. So it's sort of like, you know, the master in the end of time, suddenly lightning powers. Cybermen evolve oh, yeah. um, every with every incarnation. So that I'm not that. Yeah. And they also have a little, what looks like a gun, because at the very end of the episode, mm-hmm. he sort of pulls it out. And, yeah. That was going to be my thing. So they've got, they got the zappy hands that they yeah. use indoors. And then outside, they're just physically bashing. So I'm wondering <laughs> if the zappy hands just, you know, there's no oxygen to carry the, the zip zap. Um, in space, you're laughing at Zip Zap. Zip Zap. Uh huh. So they, uh, 
so they have to they just use brute force because they're big enough and they can <laughs> fix bayonets basically yeah uh-huh and then and then yeah at the very very end we see that they have sort of a gun so it's, this is kind of like throwing all of the all of the weapon possibilities at the wall and just just give them give it to them all give them all but i i do uh i like the way that they look i think they're they're imposing and very very creepy and scary they're they're probably my well I have a soft spot for the 80s Cybermen because I grew up with them, but I think in sheer power of design, I think these are my favorite. Mm. And they only last basically for this and then with some slight modifications in Tomb of the Cybermen, and then they change, and Mm -hmm. this is pretty much the last we see of them. As Cybermen are wont to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What else are they going to say with the Cybermen? Oh, yeah, because they have... They're like a Swiss Army knife. They have a little thing. Their gun sort of like fits in. I know all this stuff about the Cybermen because one of my favorite Doctor Who books of all time was a book called Cybermen written by David Banks who played the cyber leader in the 1980s and he wrote a book. And it had all these awesome like sort of like um, it was kind of like both uh, um, like fictitious and all like sort of like trying to craft a history of the Cybermen as well as actually looking at the different productions of the tv stories as well so it was, it was a really cool balance of both uh fiction and non-fiction and they used to have these little scale drawings of all the cybermen and i would compare them and stuff because i loved cybermen when i was a kid mm-hmm. you see and so i was quite particularly taken about with and then there's been other people who have charted the progress or progress mm-hmm. of the cyber costumes and how bits have been reused throughout the history of the Cybermen. So in a way, the Cybermen are like, you know, sort of like grafted on little bits here and there in the drama and the drama of it all. But they're also in in real life. They're also kind of like picking up parts from other Cybermen as well. So I think they're kind of neat. Yeah, it's pretty cool. They are. I, I don't know what their plan is. And I laughed out loud when I saw a Cyberman just like, yeah, I'll just push these bags out of the way and like come into the base on the moon and then just plug it up again with some bags of stuff. I th- well, I think it's it's in the rock because like, it's under most of the base is underground. Because remember they had that at the yeah. in episode one they have that little airlock thing and they have to climb out. They have to climb up right. to get out. So it's somewhere they've dug in and tunneled or something like that. Well, I guess that's a little better. Maybe there's some sort of a semi airlock mechanism in the tunnel outside or something, which would make it make much more sense. Right. Because I mean, they are they they are having pressure drops. They they mentioned that, but it's a not a huge pressure drop. So mm-hmm. so okay, headcanon accepted. Pressure gonna drop on you. Huh? Same of a song. Oh. Okay. By Toots and the Maytals, I think. You're just saying nonsense words now. I know. I'm sad. It's reggae. It's a reggae song. That's probably why you don't know anything about it and do not wish to know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Jimmy Cliff did a version or did The Clash do a version of it? I can't remember. Anyway. Uh, so I don't know if you've noticed yet, but this is another script where they don't know what yet to do with Fraser Hines because mm-hmm. he's basically just sort of saying, oh, no, the Phantom Piper, don't take me. And then he's unconscious for literally the rest of the episode. Yeah, I mean, uh, real world wise, I feel bad for, for Fraser Hines not getting to do anything, but I think it works fine in this in this story because it, it makes perfect sense and you know, we we've got a lot of characters running around. There's a lot of people on this space station, so one less is fine. And it sort of adds a little bit of extra, you know, impact that one of our TARDIS 
crew have been you know he's not impacted by the same the same weird virus thing but he is ill so it's not like they can easily just pick up and go Um, it it sort of anchors them there Mm. in a way that you know if even if it wasn't the doctor suddenly getting all like moral and you know we have to fight evil in the universe uh it would still be difficult for them to leave when they're told to because they've got a very sick fellow on their hands yeah. Did you did you recognize that speech by the way that Choton gives? You know the um, the universe is full of evil people who like go against everything we believe in. That must be fought. That's a, it's a famous speech in Doctor Who or it's somebody Who. else's in Doctor Who. Yeah. Okay. Um, it sounded kind of familiar. I, th- okay. I think I've probably just heard people refer to it. Right. Uh, it certainly it it seemed like a moment, like a soapbox moment, which is in a way that we haven't gotten from the Doctor a whole lot mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, like I said, he becomes he becomes very doctory in this story. I find does Patrick Troughton. Did you did you notice anything at all? Anything different about uh, now that you can actually see him perform compared to like what you saw in Underwater Menace and stuff? Yeah, I mean, he seems very. I'm trying to think of the right word. Solemn is not it. Mm-hmm. Serious, like yes. he just he's he is intense. Like mm-hmm. he's, this is the thing that needs to be done, and he is, by golly, he's going to do it. But there's still, there's still moments humor. Busy, and they yeah. run in and like Polly, another boot. Uh-huh. <laughs> like that's, that is that's some some first rate uh, lightness. But it's it's also it comes, encaps like enclosed in the fact that he is very serious about about what he is trying to do. And, you know, he's like got 24 hours and he's going to do it. Was he looking through his 500-year diary for a second there? I thought I, I thought I saw that. He was indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Also, uh, much is made of the fact, you know, they do a couple of close-ups of the boots mm-hmm. that the crew of the moon base wear mm-hmm. and how, as we notice, they are the same as what the Cybermen are wearing. <laughs> I'm wondering if perhaps that was the Cybermen's idea of a disguise. <laughs> to try to sort of blend in which kind of lends a bit of credibility to the cliffhanger which you didn't have as much uh belief in well it just it seemed a little bit silly that Uh they're i mean i understand the the idea that when something is there all the time you just sort of stop paying attention to it right but i feel like in this state of heightened awareness and fright and stuff having suddenly like you know from one time that you're in the room to the next there's a giant hulking figure uh under a sheet on a table that is very carefully kept out of the shot until the moment that it is required uh yeah i have heard much about that and how silly it is and i do think it is a little bit silly yeah i think it was actually very effective myself i am always a doctor who apologist you understand but just the because you know he hides under a sheet as if you know a dead person is under the sheet you don't he's still dead you don't need to check to see if he is you know so and they wear the same boots but they didn't have any dead people that all the dead people had been carted away Right. By the Cybermen, so there there shouldn't have been a body, a, a person's dead body under the under their sheet. That's my problem with it. Maybe they just lost count track. Yeah, see, that's that's the part that I don't believe is that I I don't think that uh, I think they're 
they they would I feel like they would be paying close enough attention to their surroundings that they would notice. Also, the fact that Polly very clearly says it was huge. Mm-hmm. So I mean, uh, a regular person, you know, any one of the guys that we saw that that were taken ill. Uh, underneath a sheet would take up considerably less space than a giant Cyberman. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like uh, either we say yes, it's effective and that's a great reveal. Good job. Or <laughs> you know, and 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 in in saying that, we have to say our our people are dumb. <laughs> like they're just not. <laughs> they're not paying attention. That's I really just think sad. I think they're just distracted because you know that's all the science is going on there and the like microscopes and everything in that room. And I just love that you know because it makes sense about did you search in here? No, well everyone's sort of been here. You know you don't necessarily search places where you know everyone is already there. So why would they even think of hiding in here? I just like the way that that scene was played mm-hmm. because Hobson is trying. Well, everyone is there, and the, and the way that Troughton, as you said before, he's very serious. You know, did you judge it? Yeah. You know, he's super serious, which is very rare for this doctor up to this point. If the Cybermen had been in a cupboard or behind right. something that is out of eye shot, I would have been totally fine with it and thought yeah. it would have been very effective. Just the the un, like the hiding in plain sight thing, it's a little too plain sighty for me. That's all. I mean, it's still it's still fine. I'm not mm-hmm. like it's just it is silly. But there are a lot of things in the history of Doctor Who that are silly, and I'm okay with that. This yeah. is one of them. What did you think? Uh, this is a weird thing in uh, in a Doctor Who episode where there's this huge scene where the Moonbase crew are basically trying to fix the weather, mm-hmm. and then they get a call from uh, <laughs> some minister, probably wearing a bowler hat, a 2070 <laughs> bowler hat, uh, and the doctor at the very end, he sort of comes in and there's sort of I'm like, it's, it's such a long scene with no doctor or companions in it. I loved that scene. Okay. I Well, like as I was saying before, I really, I enjoy this kind of futuristic science fiction-y sort of thing. And I mean, if you're the kind of person who doesn't dig on technobabble, yeah, that scene's probably not going to be for you. But I really thought that that was a great example of technobabble done well because they were they were trying really hard to figure out what the problem is. They've got these problems. And yeah, we're not in a position to really understand exactly what the problems are because it's all just made up science. But the way that it was written, I thought was very skillful in sort of pointing out what we as the viewer need to know about what they're doing. So like the guy would be reading off, you know, this is this, this, that, and the other to his, to his compatriot. Mm -hmm. Um, And then is that right? That's, that's right, isn't it? And then the guy would be like, yes, that's totally within the, within the boundaries of what we're looking for. So, so we get this cool sounding science fiction, future-y techno babble, Mm -hmm. and we get it uh, framed in a way that tells us that this part of it is right. And then they talk about, you know, and we're missing two pieces of this thing. Well, yeah, of course we don't know exactly what this thing is or what it does but there are two pieces of it missing and that's the key information so I just thought it was really great we've got these people who are doing their job and doing it competently and we get to see science being done you know of a sort and I just I thought it was fantastic and yeah and then the doctor came in and was was pulling samples off of things which was you know clearly supposed to be played for laughs and it was it was humorous enough but I was actually more interested in the (laughs) fake science I I I like that uh, that he sort of comes in you know, back to the camera, 
and he does a little bit of stuff like taking the stuff off the the French guy's um, shirt and stuff, and he gets told off. And then everyone moves into the, the and the scene continues. And I love how the doctor is moves in this scene as well. And you think that the star of the scene would sort of like be front and center, but no, he's he's literally out of the background in the background, out of focus, mm-hmm. doing things. It's a very sort of Trouton thing to do to just sort of carry on while everything else is sort of happening. And he's sort of like doing this little mischievous mm-hmm. work that no one's noticing at the time. I quite like that. I feel like this episode was really all about people not noticing things. Like a dude walks away and loses a shoe. I'm sorry that, that you would weird. feel you would feel <laughs> big boots like that. Yeah. You would feel somebody untying them and loosening them around your foot and then mm-hmm. just walking away. That was I felt like that was very much uh, on the same level as not noticing a Cyberman hiding under a sheet. Yeah, I guess maybe when you're trying to control the weather on the Earth from a base on the moon. <laughs> And it's not quite going right, and half of your technicians are dropping off with a strange space sickness. You start not noticing things. I guess, or maybe just in space on the moon, um, you're, yeah, you don't notice things. Your peripheral vision and the nerves in your feet mm-hmm. all don't work as well. It's probably the gravity on the moon. Maybe that's it. Yeah, maybe the gravitron messes with messes with you something on, you know those those weird like you know bubble wrap hats. <laughs> are not quite enough to shield you from whatever is going on in that room. Yeah, radiation room or something. Yep. Uh, so ha- have you heard about the uh, the, the Polly making coffee uh, scene at all before this? Yeah, I had. And I, I feel like I had heard that Polly had a very like important role in this and like figuring out that, you know, what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I mean... She doesn't. I'm sorry. Like you have to be a real poly apologist. A, a polyologist. <laughs> sorry. Ah, sorry. Ah, um, Merry Christmas. To to try to make that argument because, okay, yeah, she is the one that actually physically makes the coffee and serves it. Uh, but the doctor is the one who tells her that she should do it, and she's like, okay. And I don't have a problem with poly making coffee. Like, yeah, it is. Yes, of course. It's you know, it's it's sucky that it's the female companion that gets stuck with that job, but whatever she's capable of it she does a good job that's fine and she's she's trying to do everything she can to be helpful and she's the one that's there so she makes coffee no big deal Uh but then i was expecting her based on what i had kind of just heard i was expecting her to have some big revelation and no not at all it's the doctor it was the doctor who suggests the coffee it was the doctor who notices things that is 100 percent like i'm chalking that one up to to the doctor in terms of of figuring this out well, Annika Wills has has gone on to defend that scene just because the way she looked at it is that, you know, the doctor is trying to sort of keep everyone at bay while he mm-hmm. tries to actually come up with his loose because he's just faked a possible discovery in order to get them off their back. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of saying, well, I'll just make some coffee. You, that basically, the coffee is a distraction at this yeah. point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what she was saying. Like, she was doing her part to help the doctor carry on with what he needed to do. And so she mm-hmm. made the coffee. Right. Which is that. Yeah. She, and she did, like I yeah. said, she's the one that physically did it, yeah. but it wasn't her idea. It was the doctor's no. idea. Um, she's just, she is, she's being helpful and useful. And I think that that's, that's great, but I don't think that it's, I'm not giving Polly any specific credit for figuring right. anything out or, or saving the day <clears throat> mm-hmm. in any more than any, else is like the doctor the doctor gets the high marks there 
you would have hoped that perhaps Polly came up with the idea of, hey, what if I made some coffee to keep them all um, mm-hmm. busy or something like that? Yeah, I guess I thought that at least it was her idea. Mm-hmm. Um and and it wasn't or i mean i guess that it just i was sort of thinking that maybe she was even the one that noticed that some people took sugar and other people didn't and she then that was not not at all a thing it was totally the doctor mm-hmm. also very cool when the doctor slaps the uh, slaps yep. the cuff out of his hand like it goes like foof and there's actual stuff in that cup mm-hmm. too so that's not that sort of fake coffee cup syndrome there that is real stuff in that coffee cup yeah empty empty coffee cups is one of my just uh pet peeves mm-hmm. in in movies and tv shows like empty luggage and empty coffee cups like come on put something in there to give it yeah. a little bit of heft uh yeah this this we could clearly see that that cup was was full of stuff mm-hmm. awesome good doesn't, job doesn't have to be liquid Mm-mm. people who are making tv shows Mm-mm. put something like just wait in there to, so when you're carrying a cup of coffee it looks like you're mm-hmm. carrying something yeah like an inch of sand at the bottom of it or something yeah mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway anything else about uh, the moon base here part two Episode two at all? Um, Don't have to. No pressure. I feel like there were there was a lot as I was watching it that I was like just thinking in my head like, oh, that's interesting. And then I don't remember all of it now. You uh, you, you aud- audibly exclaimed two or three times like when the Cyberman shows up before he zaps Zay- uh, mm-hmm. Jamie and Polly. He goes, oh, he was like right there. Mm-hmm. And then when they cut to the model shot of the uh, Gravitron sort of doing a thing that impressed you too. Yeah, what a cool model shot. And yeah, the Cybermen just like like coming into frame behind them without us hearing or them mm-hmm. hearing or noticing just makes me kind of like roll my eyes at current day clompy clompy Cybermen oh. because like, no, they can be sneaky and they're wearing, you know, snazzy boots. Yeah, maybe they can even sneak under a blanket and hide there. Mm-hmm. But I did like I did like the model shot. That was that was pretty sweet. Yeah. Maybe one wasn't there the whole time. Maybe two Cybermen snuck in and one of them took out that guy and the other one zapped Jamie and Polly and then the other one snuck in and slept there. Maybe. I did have a moment when <laughs> they I had kind of a way out of this. Yeah, I'm just I'm just moving right on past. Continue. Uh when he when it zapped Polly and then and Jamie uh, I thought it was interesting, like, he moved in like he was going to pick up Jamie and take Jamie away, and then stopped, and then went over to another guy, and for a second I was like, why didn't he pick up Jamie? That doesn't, like, that's, is it just because that's convenient, because Jamie is our companion? And then I realized, no, Jamie's not actually infected with whatever it is that they've infected people with, and mm-hmm. since I don't know what's going to happen in this story, maybe that's totally a red herring, but my thought at this point is that whatever they're doing to people, like, that's, that is an important part of, of why they are taking people away maybe so that so that he wanted to take somebody that was infected and jamie's not infected i'm not going to hint one way or the other because i don't remember <laughs> okay fair enough so we have that to look forward to as we watch uh, episode three which i won't pressure you into watching now it's in it's another animated episode alas yeah and i'm i'm yawning more like we've we've reached sleepy doctor who territory once again so well it feels very familiar then which is a good thing uh uh, so the the next time that we watch doctor who will be uh world uh, not world after time we already seen that twice upon a time on christmas day peter capaldi's last episode steve moffat's last episode jody whittaker's first episode Mm, i have so many mixed feelings me too. I, I'm glad that we watched a couple episodes of the Moonbase tonight because it's distracted me from my 
impending I don't know whatness when it comes to what I should be feeling tomorrow. I'm looking forward to Jodie Whittaker, but that's also the end of the episode, which is never a good thing because I like watching Doctor Who and I'm sad when it ends. And of course, it means that we have to say goodbye to Peter Capaldi, who's really great, and David Bradley is in this. So I'm a, I'm a cauldron of emotions right now. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Moffat, which I might be the saddest about. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, I think it, you're right, watching... Watching this, some some early Second Doctor stuff the night before is a good reminder of the long, long history of the show and how it has been changing ever since. And yeah, like that's that is why the show is as amazing as it is and why it is still going. Is is this what we're watching right here? The fact that we can go back and watch something that is so vastly, vastly, vastly different, and yet so much the same at its core um i think that it, it it's reminding me not that i ever really need reminding of that but it doesn't hurt um so that when i when i have to see a big changeover happen like we're going to watch it's uh it's okay because it's it's just the way of <laughs> it's the way of the world it's the way of the doctor who world mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's there's going to be three whole seasons of Peter Capaldi there for us at any time we want to watch them. Just as like for the most part, three seasons of Patrick Troughton to watch as mm-hmm. well. Um, so there's Doctor Who is a is a wide, broad, expanding universe that we can always enjoy bits of, and we don't have to feel like something is being taken away to make room for something else. Nope, nope, it's not being taken away. It's evolving. Mm-hmm. That's just that's what it does. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.